is last week, I want to pick up kind of where we left off last time. And that issue about uh, leading captivity captive uh, and the issue of uh, uh, last time we, we saw, we kind of ended there with the Lord and with the adversary in Isaiah 49 talking about the lawful captive. And what I want to do this morning is under our study of the Satan's church, uh, really this is our number fifth, our fifth lesson, is really just look at who was taken captive. And then next week look at what was taken captive. And then we'll talk to uh, about God's response and so forth uh, and everything. Ephesians 4, if you will, verse number 8. Let's just read here to get it into our thinking. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what, it is, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And, and those are tremendous passage there. And, and quite honestly, the parenthesis in 9 and 10 gets extremely abused because it is extremely misunderstood. And we're going to spend some time in a couple weeks looking at the parenthesis there. But where, where in verse 8, I was picking up on a term, he led captivity captive. When the Lord Jesus Christ ascended up on high, far above all principalities, if you look over in chapter 1, uh, by the way, Ephesians 4 comes after chapter 1, so you've already been through chapter 1 and the learning the doctrine, and 4 is reaching over there, grabbing some of that and putting it into play. Chapter 1, uh, verse number 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power, might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come. So in chapter 4, verse 8, wherefore he saith when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave when he went up above, far above all principalities and powers, he accomplished two things in verse 8. One, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Verse 11, and by the way, verse 9 and 10, the parenthesis, explain how and why he can lead captivity captive and give gifts to men. Why he can do that. By what right does God have to come in and lead captivity captive? Well, he's God, but he has done something. What did he do? First, he descended, went to Calvary, and then ascended. And because he does the will and the purpose and the plan of the Father, he has what? Won the right to go now and to do. Verse 11, and he gave some. Notice gave, past tense. This isn't the case today. You don't have a gift. By the way, if you have to seek a gift, it's not a gift. Okay? See, a gift... 1 Corinthians 12 deals with the spiritual gifts. A gift is something that is given by the Holy Spirit. It's not you looking for it. You know, you get over in your prayer closet and go to Jabber and looking for it. You're not, it no, you're, you are doing something. He's doing He gave gifts. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why did he give them? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body. Perfected saints are going to do the work of the ministry, and that's going to result in the edifying of the body. Verse 13, till we all come, till, another timing word. 
We all come into the unity of the faith. The, the word of God comes to a completion point. Paul says in Colossians 1, I'm here to fulfill the word. I'm here to fill it up unto the measure. I'm sorry, unto a perfect man. That word perfect doesn't mean sinless. You should have written down by that verse, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that, verse 17, that the man of God may be, what? Perfect. What does that mean? Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Till we all come into the unity of faith, so the, the scriptures are complete, and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. We have some growing and some maturing going to happen because we have the completed word unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, we're not going to study all of that out, but the thing is, is right in the middle of all this, Paul says, hey, you know why he can lead captivity captive? Because of what he's accomplished at Calvary, verse 9 and 10. What I want to catch is kind of go back and get some behind-the-scenes look here and, and look at this issue about really who was taken captive and who is being led captivity captive and the captivity that Christ leads captive. I said it last week. If you think about a POW camp, the prisoners of war, because that's what we're in. We're in a war. We're, we, we'll look over in a minute in Ephesians 6. We don't battle against flesh and blood. We warfare as where? In the spiritual realm. So literally, because of Calvary, Christ can pick up the POW camp under, in the satanic kingdom, and he can move it over here and put it in his kingdom, his camp. And that, that's kind of a crude idea, but that's led captivity captive. He te he's taking, in, in the Gospels and in the song and in the Old Testament, he talks about the strong man and the stronger than he coming and delivering Israel. And that's the idea. That's the concept. He, a captivity here, the captivity that Christ leads captive. It's a captivity that he had to take and to move it and to deposit it over here in, in something else. And that's literally really what we need to understand when we talk about Satan and his activity and what he's doing and what he's trying to accomplish. Because what is he trying to do? 1 Timothy chapter 4, what's he doing? Seducing, some, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to what? Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. What's he trying to do? He's simply trying to lead you captive. Get you out of who you are in Christ. He can't keep. He can't remove you from who you are in Christ. But he can sure enough make you unusable. He can impact you. He can cause you to draw away. So by Christ taking that which was captive, that demonstrates that there is a conflict that's raging in the world, in the universe between the Lord Jesus Christ and the adversary. And it goes back to Genesis 1. And that's where we're going to need to go back to. The adversary has, has taken the whole system into captivity. He's taken the whole creation into captivity. And what the Lord is going to do, again, in verse 9 and 10, he ascended uh, what is it that he also descended first? Verse 10, he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens. What the Lord Jesus Christ does 
all that he's going to do in his descent and ascension is to lead captivity. Take the creation and set it free. Okay? You got that? All right, let's pray. All right, that, you, you wish. Come to Genesis 1. Genesis 1. When he comes in and he takes the captivity, he takes the, cap, the, the situation that the world is in. He takes that captivity that the world has been, boom, in. And he leads it away into victory. But he does that because he has the right to do that because of Calvary. Um, you, you got Genesis 1? All right, hold on to there and look at Isaiah 14 just real quick. Because we're gonna, I want to just remind you of what is said here. Isaiah 14 and verse 12. Isaiah 14, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, now here, watch, which did weaken the nations? There's captivity captive. Okay? There's the captivity, Genesis 1. What is Satan doing? What's his goal? Weaken the nations. And that's going to be important as we move along here, as we talk about who and what was taken captive. Genesis 1, look if you will at verse number 1. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Great way to start, isn't it? Wonderful way to start. A tremendous verse that just nails a death blow to human wisdom. God created. In the beginning, God created. The first five words. In the beginning, God, what? Created. He did it. He created heaven, the heaven, and the earth. Verse 2. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said. So you've, something has happened. In Genesis 1-1, God created the heaven and the earth, but yet now in verse 2, it's without form. So if it's without form, it has no use, it has no purposeful shape to it. It's a blog. It's just a blog. You guys remember taking the silly putty and rubbing it on the comics and pulling it back? And the, but that was, it's just a blob. Okay? You missed out. Man. It's a blob. Until you do what with it? Reshape it. It's without form. It has no useful shape to it. Okay? And, and it's void. It's empty. No use. So in 1-2, creation is not the way that God originally created it. Something has happened to it. Okay? What's happened? And darkness was upon the face of the deep. Darkness now is the situation. Creation, God created. We looked last time over there. He formed it in his hands. He put it there. Now it's without form, has no shape. It's void. It's empty. And darkness is there. Now, darkness is, in Scripture, ha has more than just no light, where you turn the lights out. Okay? I was in the garage working uh, the other day, and all the doors are down, all the lights are on, all the doors are shut, and uh, I crossed two wires and popped the fuse. Guess where I was standing? 
I was a little shook up, but I was standing in darkness, you know. I didn't think they would touch. You know, it's a quick thing. You know? And it, boom, darkness. Now, fortunately, I was on the ground and not on my ladder. Otherwise, I'd have been down on the ground, <laughs> right? It's more in Scripture, not talking about just no light. We're talking about spiritual force. We're talking about a spiritual issue. So when we begin to think about who is taken captive here, well, there's a condition. Now, you can slide, you can let, let Genesis kind of ride for right now. Go with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And let's look at the spiritual side of this darkness on your way. If you stop there in John 1, John 1, well, you know what, just go to Colossians 1. Colossians 1, watch verse 12. Colossians 1, verse 12. So when, in, in Genesis 1, 2, when he says, and darkness was upon the face, uh, let's mull that over a little bit about the darkness. Colossians 1, verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us. So who's the us? The church, the body of Christ, the believers. Okay, he's made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints where? In light. It, the saints operate where? In light. Why? 1 John 1, God is light, and in God there is no darkness. Right? But what's happened in Genesis 1-2? When we're talking about creation, there's no what? There's no light. There's just darkness. So God has literally pulled down a curtain, a blackout curtain. You ever have those at home? We got them everywhere. Blackout curtain. Keep the light out. He literally takes the blackout curtain. He pulls down a curtain over his glory. God dwells in the light that no man can approach. Talking about his glory. And literally, come back with me to Ezekiel 1. Ezekiel 1. God has come in and he's pulled a curtain down over his his manifestation over his his glory shining forth. Now you got to think about this. You get Ezekiel one and Psalms one hundred and four, and you kind of have to put some thought to, together here. <clears throat> God chose to manifest Himself in a very specific place in the earth, a geographical location called Zion. He says, "I'm going to put my city here in Zion." I'm going to, this is going to be my dwelling place. Jerusalem is going to be my city. And he chose to do that. Now, in Ezekiel 1, just notice something in verse 28. As the, uh, Ezekiel 1, 27, let's go there. And I saw as the color of amber, as the appearance of fire round about it. Um, by the way, where we're at is Ezekiel it starts in verse 2. He gets a picture, he gets a vision of the glory of God. And these cherubs, the, the creatures that are designed to protect and to move the, the glory. And in, he illustrates it this way, verse 28. As the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance, now watch, of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. 
And when I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard a voice of one that spake. Now, when they see the likeness of the glory of the Lord, how does Ezekiel describe it to be looking like? The rainbow. So when God in Genesis 1 makes man in his image and his likeness, what does man look like? A rainbow. He's, it's light, but it's light reflect, re, reflect, reflected. Anyway, it refracted. Thank you. Okay? It's, he's a rainbow. In Genesis 9, when the flood happens, what, is he, what does God tell Noah? The rainbow is my agreement never to flood the, the, the system again. But when you go look up in the throne room, Genesis 4, Genesis 5, I'm sorry, Revelation 4, Revelation 5, what does John see? He sees this great light, but what is it? It's, it, ha, it looks like a rainbow. So when he talks about God as light, he's not talking about a bright, you know, you know, like you take a floodlight and stick it in your eye. He's talking about a rainbow. Now, we had rain yesterday, and behind there somewhere was a rainbow. I didn't see it because I didn't go outside. It's raining. I ain't going outside. You know, just stay inside. <laughs> okay? But you'll see the rainbow, and it's very beautiful, isn't it? It's, you know, the pot of gold is at the end of the rainbow, the, the whole thing. And that's, but that's the appearance here. So it's not just a bright light, but rather all of God's glory is pictured. Psalms 104, it, it's giving a, 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 it's a beautiful colored rainbow. Literally, Adam and Eve were clothed in the original coat of many colors. They contained it. They had it. Jo when, when Joshua got it, he was late to the party. Man already had it until he fell, and then the light went out, <laughs> and the rainbow went away. Okay? Now look at Psalms 104, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty. Who covereth thyself with light as with a garment. Now what's that light? It looks like a rainbow. Has the appearance of a bow in the day of rain. Rainbow. Who stretched out the heavens like a what? A curtain. Who layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters. Who maketh the clouds his chariot. Who walketh upon the wings of the wind. Who maketh his angels. Verse 5, who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed for how long? Folks, the earth ain't flat and it ain't going anywhere. Oh, sorry. Now watch verse 6. Thou coverest it with a deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains and thy rebuke and off he goes. So in Genesis 1-2, when God says... And the earth was without form and void, and darkness moved upon the face of the deep. What's happening here? God is literally taking a blackout curtain and pulling himself out of creation. The lights went out. Okay? And there's a reason. And the reason is because of who? The adversary. Lucifer. Satan. He stretched it out, the verse, verse 2 there, like he took, stretched out the heavens like a curtain. So darkness now in the scripture is the absence of not light, but it's the absence of who? God. 
God pulled out. So when you think about darkness, as we move through thinking about this, it's not the absence of there's no sun and the stars and all that. It's God's not in it anymore. He's moved out. Now, let me remind you, you're in Psalms 104. Look there at verse number 6, verse 5 again. Who laid the foundations of the earth, that it should not be removed forever. Thou coverest it. What's the it? Well, it'd have to be the earth. But he covered it with what? With the deep. As with garments, the waters stood above the mountains. Now, that's not the flood. That's Genesis 1-2. See? Because what did he do? He laid the foundations in verse 5. When did he do that? In the beginning, God did what? He created. So you've got to think this through. So in Genesis 1-1, we're going to divert from your page for a minute. Get Jeremiah 4 and get 1 John 5. In the beginning... God created the heaven and the earth, and, and we're not going to run the passages where he created it, where he formed it, and it was perfect, and, and so forth. But he does something in Genesis 1-2 that makes it without form and void, and darkness is upon the face. Something is happening here with the adversary, and we're laying the groundwork in because it's important as we see the who and the what. Where did I tell you to go? Jeremiah 4. I'm not in charge anymore. Jeremiah 4. And 1 John 5. Let's make it 1 John 3. There it is. I am not in charge anymore. 1 John 4. I'm sorry, Jeremiah 4, verse 23. I beheld the earth, and lo, it was without form and void, and the heavens, and they had no light. You, you see that verse 23, I, I, the, I beheld the earth, and lo, it was without form and void. That's the only other place in Scripture that that term, the phrase, without form and void, appears. It appears in Genesis 1-2, and it appears in Jeremiah 4. And the context of Jeremiah 4 is the battle of Armageddon, the second coming. At the end of verse 19, O my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war, destruction upon destruction is cried, the whole land is spoiled. And he's talking about without form and void takes on them under a meaning of judgment, of destruction. That's why in Genesis 1, there's six days of a recreation, if you will, a redo here. Why? Because he's judged it. Now, what did he judge it with? Psalms 104 says he judged it with what? Water. Okay? So he, 1 John 3, I'm going to think this through. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, perfect. It had form, short, shape, a purpose. You understand that. You drive by a, a construction lot, and they're throwing up the buildings, and you're trying to guess what's going to be there. And then all of a sudden, you see them build a drive through And what do you know? It's going to be fast food of something because there's a drive through It took on a form, didn't it? And then you look over in the corner, and there's a sign that says Dutch Brothers. All right, well, it's not. 
It's, it's coffee. Okay, cool. We're good. Right? That's what God did. He created. They looked at it. They said, wow, there it is. I'm ahead of myself, but look at 1 John 3. Look at verse 8. 1 John 3, 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil. Now watch. For the devil sinneth from the, what? The beginning. There's Genesis 1, 1, 1, 2. Why does God pull himself out of the picture? Because the devil fell. Lucifer fell. Satan showed up. Sin's introduced into the creation. And what he does is he pulls himself out, darkness, judgment, and then fills that thing up with water, judgment, destruction. Boom. There it is. My point is, is we're not, we're talking about more than just the physical. We're talking about a spiritual issue now as well. Because what does he do? Genesis 1 verse 3, the first day he created light and day, night and day. Capital D, capital N, personification. He begins to move back in. And by the way, it, it, is go, it goes by and God said. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, of the deep, and God said. The Spirit's working with the Word, getting the job done. Day two, He creates. Day three, He creates. Day four, He's doing all of that. Day six is man, and we'll get into man here in a minute. Now, come over to Colossians 1. Why all of that? Again, all that's background. you got to have all that in your mind. By the way, Paul expects you to have all that in your understanding because he's going to make references back to Genesis 1. And he does it constantly. In Ephesians 5, when he talks about the husbands and the wives, do you know where he goes? He goes back to the first marriage in Genesis 1 and 2 there with Adam and Eve. There's a pullback. Now watch Colossians 1 verse 12. By the way, I didn't finish 1 John 3. You ought to finish that verse 1 John 3, verse 8. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. How does he do that? Colossians 2, he does it at the cross. Okay? My point, my, what I'm trying to get you to see is in Genesis 1, 1, things are good, but in 1, 2, there's a judgment, and it's twofold. One, the removal of himself, and then the physical thing of the flooding of the water with the water okay now colossians 1 verse 12 giving thanks here we are here's paul giving thanks unto the father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints uh, in light who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Now, in thinking about darkness, the power of darkness, John, John 1 over there, he says, uh, the darkness comprehended it not. We're not talking about turning the lights out. We're talking about a spiritual entity, a force that's behind. That's why we started with the thing about Satan's church and who's pulling the strings and moving things, the system. Notice verse 14. 
in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. How does God have the right to deliver you from the power of darkness and translate you into the kingdom of his dear son? How does he have that right? Verse 14, Calvary does. 1 John 3, 8, Calvary gives him that right. He has the, he has the right, he has the power, he has the ability to lead captivity captive to go to battle to go to war to reach over into the POW camp to reach over into the camp of Satan and pull out those who are going to believe and trust him do you follow okay now watch verse he, he has the right to to remove you from the kingdom, the power, the strength of the adversary to run your life. He has that ability to rescue us. He has that ability to take us out of captivity and literally put us in the captivity but in him. <laughs> okay? And that's a whole, that's, a, that's not a POW camp. That's a wonderful thing to, in him. The power of darkness, a spiritual power, a spiritual structure, a spiritual system that literally holds the universe captive. It holds you captive. It held, it held Israel captive. And what Jesus Christ invades that dominion, that kingdom of darkness, that power of darkness, he invades that with Calvary. And when he does that, he won the right to liberate you, to lead captivity captive. Okay? Now go to Ephesians 6. Folks, if you can grasp this, then when you begin to look around with what's going on in life around you, you won't get overwhelmed by it. Because why do the lost people do what the lost people do? Because they're lost. It's that. So don't get mad at them for doing what lost people do. That's all they know. Okay? You know? Get in there, figure out what's going on. Ephesians 6, look at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. By the way, be strong where? In the, not in you, but in the Lord. By the way, be strong in the Lord is a summarization of chapter 1, verse 1 through 14. Where's our strength in the Lord? All spiritual blessings in Christ in the heavenly places. Then you start in, in chapter 1, verse 15, and you go through verse 23, and you have the power of his might. That one verse sums that up. Put on, therefore, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Notice it doesn't say Satan. It says the devil. Satan is, means to, it, 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 he's the accuser. But devil, is, it, it means, one of its meanings is to divide, to separate. And the adversary wants to separate you from who you are in Christ. And in order to cause you to not stand in who Christ has made you, what did he do to Eve? Same thing. He caused Eve to move away from 
who she was in Christ. What's he want to do with you? Same thing. See what Paul says? Put on the armor. Put on the equipping. You've been given it. Put it on. You're to put on this. You're to live in the identity of who we are in Christ. Put that on. Now watch verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principality, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Notice, the rulers of darkness of what? This world. We're talking about spiritual entities. That's why in Romans 8, in the end of that chapter, he talks about neither death nor angels nor principalities can separate us because there's a spiritual warfare. And the warfare starts back there in Genesis 1. So when you go back to Genesis 1 and he talks about darkness, he's not just talking about the physical aspect of he turned the lights out, but rather he's talking about the He's talking about the spiritual absence of God. God physically removes himself, but then God also spiritually removes himself. He's out of the equation. Now come over to Romans 1. And the rule of the creation falls to the adversary, Romans 1. And when that happens, now the system, okay, the whole of it becomes under the rule, the authority of the adversary. Look at Romans 1. Now watch Paul do this, verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Notice how Paul goes right back to Genesis 1, Genesis 2. He says, listen, you want to know that you, you want to know the power, the eternal power and the God of uh, the Godhead, and you want to know the how God made himself man. Just look at creation. And because you look at creation, guess what you are? You're without excuse, man, oh man. And as Paul lays out the courtroom indictment against man and, and proving the point that they're a sinner, the first thing they do is you know what he does? He says, You gotta go back to creation. And you've got to remember who, what creation was and what happened there. Now watch verse 21. Because that when they, man, knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain, there's that word vain, empty, in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened. There's Genesis 1-2. Without form and void, vain, empty, useless, no, and darkness, no thankfulness. Now, historically, this is at the Tower of Babel. But the Tower of Babel is just really a repeat of everything else that's happened, okay? But what I want you to see is, is how, how they rejected the truth of God. How? By turning him away. Look down at verse 28. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, what'd they do? They became vain in their imaginations, their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. They changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man and the birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up. What man do? 
Man says, I don't want the revelation given to me by God. I don't want that. I'm going to come over here and do something else. I'm going to be, I'm going to, verse 25, I'm going to worship the creature more than the creator. I'm going to take the truth of God being the creator and all of the creator doctrine, and I'm just going to throw it away, and I, know, I determine where I come from. Does that sound a little familiar today? I determine what gender I am. Really? I think God had a hand in that. It's called DNA. <laughs> okay? That's the issue. That's what they're doing. By the way, what did he do in verse 28? God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all. In verse 29 to 32 is the result of no God. So what did they do? They rejected the truth of God, the revelation of God in creation, and they went after the dark. Their foolish hearts were darkened. The adversaries lie... Verse 25, he's peddling it. And you know what creation is doing with it? Sucking it up. All of it. And you know what happens with creation? And I say it that way on a whole because it's what it's going to be. Guess what they are? Guess what they become? Captive. He, he won the, he, the adversary won creation by saying, yea, hath God said. And he got it. And he got the whole of it. And he got it that simple. Now come over to Ephesians 2. Instead of running a lot of Old Testament, I thought we'd just run a little bit of Pauline. Look at Ephesians 2. Got Ephesians 2, come on over to 1 John 5. There is a system that's running the universe that took God and threw him out. You hear about school, our school system, no God, no prayer, no this and that, except for on test day. On test day, they're all praying to God, <laughs> looking for the answers, right? Another joke, ba-boom, come on now, okay? 1 John 5, look, if you will, at verse 19. 1 John 5, 19. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in what? Isn't that interesting? Where's the whole world lie? Ephesians 2. Where's the whole world lie? The whole world is captive. He's got them captive. They belong to him. Why? Because they rejected God, so God says, okay, you don't want me? You want yourself? Go for it. Have at it. Enjoy it. And they and man has made a mess of it ever since. Ephesians 2. Look at Ephesians 2. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Where were we? We were dead in what? Trespasses and sins. He quickens you, gives you the Holy Spirit, makes you alive, off, up and running. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. 1 John 5, 19. The whole world lieth what? Wickedness. It's got a course. The world is on a course. You understand what a course is. The guys are playing golf. And what do they play on? On a course. And you go from hole one 
the whole two, the three, the four, the five, and you work your way around the course. You go to school and you take a course on mathematics. Why you'd do such a thing, I don't know, but you do. And you know what happens is, is you work yourself through a pre-algebra, algebra, calculus, trig, and off and up you go. Statistics or whatever it is. But what are you doing? It's a it's a mechanism, it's a course, it's an avenue, but it's a course of of knowledge. I was watching the guys play golf yesterday on the TV, and th these guys are having to operate on knowledge of the course. Because the greens got fast and this and that and the weather and all this. Stuff. So what do they got to do? If I put it here, it's going to come back to there. So there's a not, not, this isn't, it's more than just the physical thing. The whole system. Verse 2. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. According to. You see that? According to. See, you thought you did what you did just because that's what you did. You're doing it because you are, you are captive to somebody. Okay? Let me say that again. You look at your unsaved friends and you wonder how they can do what they do. They do what they do because they are captive to the adversary's system. That's why they do it. That's why when you come over here and you get saved and you come to run and ride division and you get in the doctrine, he pitches such a fit about it because what are you no longer? You're no longer captive to him. He, Christ has led you captive. captive. He's got you over here in his kingdom. He's moved you from this to that. Now keep reading. According to the prince, the power of the air. There's the adversary. The prince, he's the chief ruler. The power, prince of the power. That word power, it's governmental authority. They have the power to do something. The prince and the power, the prince of the power of the air, the invisible realm. Now we're in Ephesians 6.12. Where do we war against? Spiritual wickedness in high places. We're not warring against flesh and blood. Where's the flesh and blood? They're captive. They don't have a clue as to what's going on. They need to be what? Rescued. When they're rescued, he, you're going to lead captive. What? Captive. You're going to put him over here where he belongs. Am I making any sense? <laughs> I don't know if I am or not. But Okay. So who's captive? Creation is. You are. Man is. But the creation is via Genesis 3 and the curse. Now keep reading. The prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedient, disobedient to who? To the truth, to the revelation of God. Romans 1. Romans 1, historically, Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. What did God tell Noah and his three boys? You get out, you scatter, reproduce, get replenish the earth, fill this bad boy back up, and they've handed it down through the lines, and they were drawing out chapter 10, and the nations are all spreading out, and old Nimrod sits up there and says, you know what, I don't like this, I want to be in charge, I want to be the head guy. So we're all together, one language, one operating system, and God says, nope, if I leave them there, man can't be stopped in his imaginations. He's just going to run rampant, so I'm going to go down there and I'm going to confuse the language 
That's why the speaking in tongues in Acts 2 is needed for the nation of Israel. They have to reverse the curse of Acts of Genesis 11. They get in there, they get going, and then God reaches over Genesis 12 and pulls out of his own nation, his own people. And he says, you're going to be my people in the land. You're going to represent me. And, and the nations out there are going to see you, Deuteronomy 4. And they're going to say, man, look at that nation, how great they are, how wonderful they are, because they've got God nigh. God isn't nigh to the Gentiles, the nations. Why? He's let them go. They are captive. Now Israel gets captive too. The lawful captive, Isaiah 49. The Gentiles have always been captive. That's what Paul's saying here, verse 2. Hey, the spirit of the children of disobedience, the spirit that worketh in the You see... The unsaved people are spirit-controlled. Ooh, now, uh-oh, Rick. Okay. It's the wrong spirit. See? So when you look at people and you say, man, how in, the world, how in the world can somebody go in and shoot up a classroom full of kids? And you go, it's this stuff right here. That's why. They're in the wrong... They're operating based on the children. Verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as ourselves. You see, Satan, the prince, the power of the air, has a course that the whole world follows that promotes his philosophy, that promotes his agenda, and in that promotion, it's designed to take your flesh and the desires of your flesh and fulfill them. And that's why man, by nature, is a brute beast, he's called. Why? Because that flesh says, feed me. The adversary says, I've got you and I'm going to feed you. And, you're, and you become enslaved by the desires of what you want, of what you think. And it's a spiritual wickedness. It's a spiritual condition. Much more than a physical condition, it's something spiritual. Come over to 2 Corinthians 4. So who is taken captive is man. It's creation. The system is all under the wrong headship. Now, Ephesians 1.10 says one day all that's going to be corrected. 2 Corinthians 4, if you look at verse 3, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Why, why can't they see it? Because the course of the world has hid it. 2 Corinthians 4.3. Now watch, verse 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Now watch. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. He blinded their minds. When you blind the minds... Ephesians 4.18 says, having their understanding darkened, what did you do? You reached in there and you turned the lights out. 
And the course of the world takes them, and off they go. The God of this world, the ruling authority of the world, what did he do? He holds captive. And he says, they're mine. You ever watch a a chicken with her chicks or a duck with her ducklings, and she's missing one, and she knows it, and she goes to looking? I saw one at the canal. She left five little babies alone, under, just out in the open. And she went all the way back to Southern Avenue to get the one that couldn't get out of the... And I'm sitting there going, do you know what would have happened to the little five because mama was gone? She didn't care. She was missing what? One. What does the adversary do? I'm missing them, so let's go get them and bring them back in. And he's your captive. Now look at 2 Corinthians 4. Verse 5, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, now watch, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. There's Genesis 1-3. See how Paul drug us right back to Genesis? Hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Look at what God did. What did God say? Let there be light. Jesus Christ has taken God out from behind the curtain, if you will. And he's put him on display. And you know what Paul says? For God has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. You want to have light? You want to have knowledge of what's going on? What do you need? You've got to have light. And the adversary doesn't like it. Satan doesn't want the world to see who Christ really is. Come over to Acts 26. He's, he, he's won the right. Satan doesn't want to see, the, doesn't want the, um, Acts 26, sorry. I lost my train of thought. Satan doesn't want the world to see who Christ really is. You know why? Because he's won the right at Calvary to rescue the captive. Because he's won the right to liberate his creation from the captivity that the adversary holds it in. Now, he holds it in it today, okay? The liberation of everything hasn't taken place yet. He's in the pro, okay? We'll get into all of that, okay? But there you go. The lie program makes you captive. You know what the truth's going to do? Set you free. Acts 26, we have Paul on the road to Damascus, and he's actually before Agrippa giving a recount of it, verse 16. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in which I will appear unto thee. Paul, again, Christ to Paul, Acts 9, road to Damascus. Now, watch something here. This is from moment one with Paul, Saul of Tarsus. This is right in the moment, Acts 9, road to Damascus. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. On the road, Paul's conversion and commissioning takes place right there. Now watch verse 18. To open their eyes 
and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. On day one, second one, hour one, minute one, what does God Almighty tell Paul, Saul of Tarsus? You're going to go down there and you're going to carry a message that's going to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. You see how we went right back to Genesis 1? God says, Paul, when you give your gospel, you're going to open their eyes and you're going to turn them from darkness to light. And that's going to enable me to move them from the power of the kingdom of Satan, the power of Satan, unto the power, the kingdom of his dear son. That's, day, that's moment one, second one. Not two weeks later, not a month later in a vision. It's right there on the road immediately that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith which is in me. Now go back to Colossians 2. He sends him out. He sends a message of grace and peace with Paul to do what immediately to man he would have all men be saved he, it's an all man ministry the whole world is to hear this why because it's going to be Colossians 2 look if you will there in verse 14 blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us and took it out of his way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. And that is his cross. And because of Calvary, now go back there to chapter 1 where we started, because of Calvary, what is he going to be able to do? The message of Paul proclaiming, we preach Christ crucified. And we're your servants. We ain't preaching us. We talk about Christ and Calvary and the cross. Why? We preach Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret before the foundation of the world, but now is made manifest. Why? Because if the princes of this world had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Had they saw the fact that he was going to use Calvary to liberate the captive, they wouldn't have done it. They would have let something else happen, okay? Calvary is what won the right. That's why Colossians 1, verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father which made us meet to be partakers in the inheritance of the sons of, of the saints in light who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. How does he take us from captive in the adversaries arm? Uh, a kingdom, and then he liberates us and sets us free. It's Calvary. That's what did it. Paul, you go out there and you preach Christ crucified because what that did is it is going to give them forgiveness of sins and an inheritance, and we'll get to that, but ultimately it's going to release them from, being, from that captivity that they're in. You follow that? That's what's happening. That's who is captive. You and I, man, but also creation. And we'll talk about that next time because that's the what. So the who is man. By the way, why is it man? 
Genesis 1, 26 and 27, what's man going to do? They're created in the likeness and the image of God. They're going to go out. They're going to represent God. They're going to replenish the earth. They're going to fill it up. They're going to subdue it. It's man that God's going to use to repossess the system, the world. And you know what Satan says? I can get that old dirt man. Watch me. And he goes after. And he leads man captive. Christ says, that's okay. I'm going to liberate the captive, and they're going to be my captive. And that's the wonderful news about it all. Okay? The message given to Paul about the cross work of Christ, what it means is what takes us and releases us from satanic captivity. And it places us into the family of God, into the kingdom of his dear son. And when we're in that family and we're in that kingdom, we're never to be lost again. And that's wonderful. And that's what's happening. But you know what Satan's church is doing? Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And just says, hey, you want to know really what's going on? Just come on over and join the club. I'll give you the decoder ring. I'll help you out. And the truth of God's word, his word is a light into the path. Says, nope, don't do it. Here's another answer. It's, fan it's fantastic. It starts in Genesis 1-2. And it's going to work its way all the way out. Revelation 17-5, that final personification of the whole of it in the, in the Antichrist and the false prophet. And God's going to crush it, Daniel 2, 44 and 45. He's going to lay it all waste. And when that happens, the heavens are going to rejoice, that's you and I, and the earth will rejoice, and there's Israel. Why? Because his ultimate purpose is to set it all back the way it originally was in Genesis 1, 1. Okay? Now we're building. Next week we'll build a little more, okay? All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we thank you for who we are in your Son for the all-spiritual blessings, for the completeness, for the all-sufficiency in all things because of who we are in you and the simplicity of that, Lord, I just pray would never leave our thoughts. In your name we pray, amen. All right, we're going to stand and be dismissed.